Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. Doubt works itself in all sorts of ways in our lives. John has been crafting this letter. We actually aren't going to fully cover verses 30 and 31. We're going to cover those in two weeks on Resurrection Sunday. But John has been crafting this letter with rich theology. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's written in such a way that is hyper-focused on the fact that his entire intent and desire is that we would believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is God, that he came in the flesh, and that he died, was buried, and resurrected. He's not held back at all. He has, he has been asking and pleading and pointing, and everything that he's laid, even the way that he's writing, has been more theological than even just chronological at points. But he's, he's writing this to try and drive home something that, that the church in this day, remember he's writing after most of this is gone, 30, 20, 30 years after Jesus is gone. And he's trying to help the early church and, 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 and by us having the words of God preserved, help us to know, to confess, to believe that Jesus is the son of God. But yet we have this little monster that kind of, attaches himself to us. It's this thing called doubt. See, doubt is, is not the complete absence of faith. It's, it's faith laden with the, the weight of unbelief. It's, it's, this, it's this thing that threatens to kind of sink us or to hold us still or to, to keep us from doing the very things that the faith that we all claim we would have would cause us to do. So John is trying to give the church all it needs so that the bride can believe in Jesus. But many of you, you have, you have doubts. Many at this time in Jesus' day, or in John's day, were starting to doubt the resurrection. I bet if, I were on, if you were honest, how many people have doubted the goodness of God in their life? Every hand would raise. And if I said, keep your hand up, if you doubted it in the last week, most hands would stay up. Doubt is something that we're going to wrestle with over and over and over again. And doubt is something that the, that the Lord is fully aware of. And so we have scriptures like this that are just so wonderful. Uh, verses 19 is the same day after Jesus had appeared to Mary. And Mary came and told all the disciples, hey, just so you know, I saw Jesus. And what we get, most of them didn't believe. They were curious about it. John tells us that, the, that most likely if he's the author of this, that he saw the empty tomb and believed to what extent he didn't fully understand the scriptures yet. That was verse nine of this chapter. And so here they are wrestling and we, we get to the scene where they're in this, this upper room and they're, they're hanging out together and there's some disagreement, but most seem to think that it's at least the 10 disciples minus Thomas and Judas and also other people are there. It's not just the 10. Some would say that it is 10, but... I think from Luke, we can, we can gather that this is most likely with a few other people in the room. And Jesus shows up 
in these locked doors. And John tells us this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. This is they're shut in, they're locked in place. And Jesus comes and stands among them and says to them, peace be with you. Now, if you know your scripture, you know of a theophany. It's, it's where God has over and over again through the scripture shown up to his people. And it's always almost the same thing. There's, a, there's an utterance of peace be with you, like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's okay. And almost in every single time the, the, where God shows up to his people or, or Christ shows up to his people in the Old Testament all the way through, it almost always starts with the peace be with you or do not be afraid and then moves itself into a commission. God is here to tell you, don't be afraid. This is what I want you to do. And that's what we see happening here. He says, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus' resurrected body is different than the body he went in with, but it's still his body. And somehow his scars are seen. This is three days after. So he's healed, which is miraculous in itself. If you've had those kind of scars, you wouldn't be healed in three days. And so he says, like, see this, touch me, look at these things, like, like believe. Again, why, why is John writing it this way? I think he's writing it this way because he's trying to, to, to tell us as an eyewitness, he sat in that room, he saw this interaction, Jesus showed up. And he's saying, touch, touch my sides, see this, see my hands. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And I love this because Jesus had promised his disciples in chapter 16 that there, there will be sorrow, but your sorrow will turn to joy. There'll be gladness. You will, you will, now is your time for grief, but I say again, you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Now that is key for us to understand. Because in that moment, disciples, sadness, sorrow, grief, turn to gladness and joy. A joy that they walked with perfectly? No, of course not. But a joy that they lived their life on from there. And then Jesus says to him again, peace be with you. I am peace. I am with you. Be peace, be with you. Shalom. Do not be afraid. As the Father has sent me, here's the commission. I am sending you. This isn't new. He said this all the way back in John 13. He spoke about it over and over again, 14 through 16. This, is, this has been the whole thing. As the Father send me, I'm sending you. As this has happened. So the way that ministry that I had, the, the things that you did, this is something that's so important for us as a church to remember. The things of Jesus are to be the things of the church today. Jesus speaking truth, healing, extending grace, meeting with women at the well, all of these things that Jesus did aren't just cool stories for us to see about Jesus. They're showing us the character of our God whom we follow, that we as the church should be doing this. It's not just, oh, that's cool, Jesus did that. No, 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 we should be doing this. We should be moving and running towards the poor. Our, our, our life and our mission should be doing what Jesus did. He's saying, as I have been sent by the Father to do the work of the Father in complete obedience to the Father, you now are being sent to do the work of the Father in complete obedience to me. And then he tells him how he does it. He says, and you'll do it by receiving the Holy Spirit. He goes on and says, and when he said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is a a, a fun text 
for, 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 for scholars and theologians. They, uh, there's like four predominant views, and really all of it's trying to reconcile. Is this an actual receival of the Holy Spirit, or is that actually in Acts 2, where we see Luke writing at Pentecost and, and what's happening? And so then theologians work a lot of time trying to, to, to figure out how this fits in. And again, I, um, the best I can say for you guys is this. I would love to have coffee with you and talk about all the different views of the things that are fun there, if that's something that would help you in your faith journey. But I, I don't think that's the primary point here. What John is, is doing is we're seeing that, 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 God, that Jesus is saying, peace be with you. I'm sending you as I am sent and receive the Holy Spirit. The only way you'll be able to do the sentness that I did is with the power of the Holy Spirit. You won't be able to do the things that you are to do. In fact, that Jesus even said, you'll far greater things. It's better for me to leave so that when I leave, the Holy Spirit can come. All through the gospel of John, John has been saying that the Holy Spirit will come at the hour of glorification. The hour of glorification was Jesus on the cross. How to reconcile that in this place? We don't, I don't believe that scriptures talk about two different baptisms and all those things. I believe that when you surrender to Jesus Christ, he takes a heart of stone and brings in a heart of flesh. And now I have the ability to walk out faithfulness because it's not my power, it's his. So there's a lot of things that we can say about that. But he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and says, here's, here's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Here's a ministry of these things. Is if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Many are like, yes, I can stop forgiving people. That's not the way this is being said here. That's not, that's not at all what, what he's saying here. In fact, Jesus isn't saying, I give you power to forgive sins in place of God. No one can forgive sins except for God. That's Mark 9. So, so it can't mean that. Oh, sorry, Mark 2, 7. Who can forgive sins but God only? So I think what he's saying is as believers go into the world, we announce the good news of salvation. We announce how forgiveness happens. Believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we also announce without belief in Jesus, you aren't forgiven. That's what I think he's talking about is the ministry of reconciliation as followers. We go with the message that to be saved you need Jesus. Apart from Jesus, you aren't saved. And this is important because John has been laying it out this whole time that the only way to the Father is through Jesus. So believe. One scholar says it this way. He says, all that Christians can do is announce the message of forgiveness. God performs the miracle of forgiveness. If sinners will believe on Jesus Christ, we can authoritatively declare to them that their sins have been forgiven. But we are not the ones who provide the forgiveness. The Christian witness proclaim and declare and empowered by the Holy Spirit live by the message of their own proclamation. It is God who effectively forgives or retains a sin. Thus, the Christian ministry is a continuation of Jesus's ministry. We don't create forgiveness or deny it. We announce it according to God's word and the wisdom of the Spirit. That's what I think is being said there. And in the middle of this stuff where, where, where the, the disciples are there and they're experiencing this and they're hearing this from Jesus, we, we, we kind of know in just the scripture that, that they really wrestled to even walk this out after this. Because why? What are they doing 
eight days later, a week later, they're in an upper room with locked doors. <laughs> Still sitting put, a little scared, a little afraid, not sure what to mean. And, and, and why Jesus shows up and then doesn't show up and then shows up again. It's like, oh man, like there's so much I wish that they would have written in here for us to understand a little bit more of it. But again, I don't, I don't think that's the point. I think the point isn't that we would know absolutely every single detail, although we think that would be great. Because Jesus comes down to Thomas and says, believing without seeing, blessed are those, happy are those. See, much of our doubt is based on expectations that God never promised to give us. So then verse 24 picks up on poor old doubting Thomas. Man, like, could you imagine your name being known as Doubting Thomas, like for all of history? It's sad. First off, we don't, we don't know why Thomas is there. And I mean, you see what happens when you miss church people? Like, right? You miss Jesus, right? No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. No, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I do wonder how often and how much we miss out on what Christ is trying to do because of our unwillingness to gather, both collectively in large groups and small. I think we miss out on so many opportunities for Christ to do some incredible work in and through us for his kingdom purposes because we're just too busy or lazy or it just doesn't seem to give us what we want as if that's the purpose of gathering together is to get what we want. But Thomas was gone. (laughs) You could put all kinds of conjecture in this. He was sad and grieving as were the disciples. And so he grieved, instead of doing it like the disciples, he grieved alone. We're going to talk about Peter next week and his grief process, and everyone grieves differently. But, but Thomas is, is out on his own, grieving, upset, and angry, and Jesus comes up and has this whole moment with the disciples and says this to them, says all these things and commissions them. So they've now all seen the resurrected Jesus, except for Thomas, who is a twin, and we don't know his twin. I, I almost feel worse for that guy, Right? Like, at least you're known as Doubting Thomas. Maybe he struck his name from the record because he just didn't want to be aligned to not. No, I don't know. But he's a twin. We don't know who his twin is. There's no, no, nothing really historically that we can find. Um, but he's his twin, and he's with the disciples. And so the other disciples tell him, we have seen the Lord. Now, this is one of those times I just don't think the text does it justice. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about when they've seen something excited and you walk home. Slow down, slow, like, one at a time. Stop, like, whoa, 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 slow down. I think that they're like, Thomas, Thomas, we saw him, we saw him, we saw him, we touched him. He talked to us. Jesus is resurrected. Everything he said is true. I don't get it yet. And we're still in this locked room and we're a little afraid and freaking out and we haven't seen him since, right? There's probably a lot more emotion in there. And what does Thomas do? This is why I think doubting is such a small statement for him, but also such a gift of grace to us. Because he does, he says to his brothers, who have experienced the same grief he did, walked with the same Jesus he did, knew how Jesus took his eggs and drank his coffee. I mean, he spent all his time with him and all of his brothers, all these people in this room, we saw the Lord and he says, no way. Man, there's a whole sermon in that and the value of wisdom that comes from being together with your brothers and sisters. Thomas not only doesn't believe that Jesus is resurrected, but he outright fights with his brothers and sisters about what they saw. He's like, man, I don't, 
I don't get it. And he gets a bad rap. I mean, Thomas is the one that's like, hey, you want to go raise Lazarus from the dead? And we're going to go to Judea? Then let's go together. If we die, we die. So Thomas has some, some boldness to him. In chapter 11, that's where that happens. In chapter 14, he's like, he's like, Lord, help me understand what you mean where you're going. We can't go. So he's, he's inquisitive. So he's seeking God. It's not like he's just some guy that just doesn't care. He's, he's one of the apostles. But Thomas is in a, a fight with his brothers and sisters about what they saw. And maybe he's just mad because he didn't show up. Maybe he's just mad. It's like, man, maybe he doesn't feel as loved. I can't tell you how often I see God working in the life of people in community and those who are isolated feel sadness and grief because they feel like God isn't working. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't, I don't, we don't know. All we know is that he is forever doubting Thomas who makes a declaration better than any of the other disciples do about what it means to follow Jesus. But the reason why I like Thomas is here because let's be honest, it could be doubting Bren. If we're honest with our life, even just before our faith journey, I mean, it's easy to say, oh yeah, when I didn't believe I was totally a doubter, but then I came to faith and I never had any doubts ever. It was perfect. Uh, that's not true. It's doubting Bren. Doubting fill in your name. And you know as well as I do that that is just unfortunately too true of all of us. And so he's, he's doubting. And he says this, I, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and the place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. How many of us have ever done that in our prayer life with God? Unless you do X, I won't. And it's easy to sit in a spot of pride and, and, pride and be like, oh, obviously, obviously, man, like you're, you're messing up, Thomas. You're a fool. I can't believe you did this. But, but that's not what Jesus does. You know what's interesting? Jesus, when he comes into the room, the first time he sees his disciples, I almost feel like it would have been better for him to say, Dude, what happened? I told you what would happen. Why are you hiding in here? Why did you abandon me? Why did you give up? Why did you doubt? Why did you deny me three times, Peter? All of those would have been justifiable questions, but Jesus doesn't do that. He just comes and says, peace be with you. I'm here. Touch me, believe. And we see that Jesus does the same thing for Thomas. He meets Thomas right in his doubt and does exactly what needs to happen. He he utters the very words of Thomas without being in the room. Comes in and says, eight days later, again, you're seeing a rhythm here. This is a week that counted the day of, so this, the, this is the gathering time. So don't miss your gatherings, people. You'll miss Jesus. I'm sorry. Okay. It says, peace be with you. And then said to Thomas. He doesn't even give Thomas a chance to say anything. He doesn't give the disciples to be that moment. Be like, I told you, Thomas. Look right there. None of that. He instantly just engages with Thomas. Thomas, put your hands here. Touch, touch my side. Do these things. Like, put your fingers here and see my hands and put your, put your hand and, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. We don't know if Thomas touches his, his hands or if he does anything, but we do know that Thomas says, one of the coolest things. He says, my Lord 
and my God. Now think back. This is what's so beautiful. And we, we've skipped over. John does these, these beautiful cycles of things that happen. Even him breathing out the Holy Spirit takes us back to Genesis 2 and the breathing here. And, and you see him kind of follow these cycles where it's in the beginning, the word, which would take them back to the creation. And so like he's, he's playing this, this theology that we don't have time to unpack. But, but look at the words. What did Jesus proclaim to Mary to tell the disciples? Go to my brothers. Tell them I'm going to my father, their father. My God, their God. And what does Thomas do? (laughs) Jesus, you are my God. He utters an unambiguous declaration of worship, which every Jew in this day would have never done unless it was God. And a good Jewish person, which some proclaim Jesus is, would never have received that kind of declaration from someone because it puts them in the place of God. But Jesus doesn't. He doesn't. He just goes on. He says, oh, yeah. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's a, there's a, a, a couple really cool things that are happening in here. First, um, I think he's, he's saying it's more of the stop doubting and believe in Greek becomes more of a do not become unbelieving, but believing. Um, Thomas is being challenged to change, to become like the others who, upon seeing Jesus, embrace him with faith. The, the declaration here that, that have you believed because you have seen me could come across as a slight rebuke. And we've seen Jesus do this. This is the coolest thing. In, in all of Scripture, we see it all over. Peter, on the, walking on water, starts to sink. He's like, Lord, save me. And he's like, oh, you have little faith. It's like, well, there's a slight rebuke. But Jesus says, hey, don't, don't worry. I'm still here. For, for unbelief in Scripture, if you want to know what, like, not doubt. Let me right now, you're doubting. You're like starting to feel really, really guilty. Hold on, hold on a second here. Jesus, he doesn't approach you with the same way he approaches actual unbelief. Have you seen the way he speaks to the Pharisees? versus the way he speaks to those who are trying to understand. Right? The, the Father, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus declares that as great faith. So he comes at him and he says, man, I, you, have you believed because you've seen me? This is probably more of a... Um, like a question, because you've seen me, you believed. It's a statement. But blessed are those who believe, who have not seen me and believe. Now, I think, and this is, this is just me, I, I think this is a gift of a sentence from Jesus in the resurrection for the church. Now, remember when John's writing this. He's writing this when years have gone by of those who have seen the resurrected Jesus. And what does he do? He, he comes to a beatitude. Blessed, happy are those Blessed are those who believe in this. So it's the second one that he does in John. So he, he tells him, blessed are you. See, Jesus foresees a time when he will not provide the kind of tangible evidence afforded to the disciples. He understands. He says, he knows, I, I'm leaving. Like, this has not been unclear. He's been saying it the whole time. We can look at it and go, he is leaving. He's leaving. And so he tells them. He doesn't say um, all those who believe he will send the Father. See, sorry, he doesn't, he doesn't, this is not a, um, and should not mean that our faith is diminished or our joy 
truncated based on the fact that we don't get to see Jesus or that that's just somehow. In fact, I think what he's saying is, is blessed are those who believe like Thomas without seeing. First Peter 1, 8 through 9 says it this way. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Doesn't seem like a, a diminished joy. It seems like the same joy that the disciples felt in this moment. Uh, one scholar says it, says it this way: the effect of this beatitude is to apply the lesson of Thomas to all readers of the gospel. Happy are they who, without having had Thomas's experience, share Thomas's faith. Happy indeed, for faith has an immediate access to the person of Jesus Christ, the Revealer, and on that account has its own certainty. So, so those of you who doubt. Doubt. And we talked last week about the imp- some of the implications of resurrection. We're going to talk over the next couple weeks some implications of resurrection. We're going to see that, that ultimately one of the biggest issues, and this is why I started the way it is, one of the biggest weights, like Hebrews says, laying aside the things that entangles, is doubt. I pray with less faith when I doubt. I live less obediently when I doubt. As doubt is, 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 is difficult, but... I want to go to one other person who doubted, and I think just as greatly as, as Thomas did. It's John the Baptist. He's, 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 he's been imprisoned by Herod Antipas because he called out him for killing his brother so that he could marry his, his brother's wife. Is, yeah, it's Matthew 14. So John here is in prison because he denounced the king's adulterous marriage to his sister-in-law. And John the Baptist, if you remember, he's the most likely a Nazarite, so he has, like, not cut his hair, hair most likely not drink any, drunk any alcohol, like, very devoted kind of prophet man, like, like lives a life of, man, discipline, it seems like. And John already announced that Jesus was the coming as the Messiah. He already said that to him. Behold the Lamb of God, right? John also, if you remember, was, was the individual that happened to be standing in the river, with Jesus and getting ready to baptize him and had that whole scene, right, where heavens open up, the, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and the, the voice from heaven, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. Like, I don't know about you, but that would probably instill in me little to no doubt on who Jesus is. But years go on. He tells his disciples that he must decrease, decrease and Christ must Increase. And then his circumstances. And see, John was, he was steady. He wasn't an easily shaken reed. He was sober. He lived a disciplined life. He was a servant or a prophet. He was sent. He was special. Even Jesus, after speaking of John, says no one born of woman is greater than he. And so what's the scenario? John is in prison for calling out sin. And prison that day was probably not nearly as comfortable or as good as we can even imagine. And here he is in prison and he starts to doubt. So he sends his disciples to Jesus. He says, man, Matthew 11, he says, tell him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Guys, that's, that's doubt. I mean, this is a guy that's like, behold the name of God, I'm not worthy to wear your sandals, tries to be baptized. I, I'm not worthy to baptize you, like you baptize me. Like he had... Nailed it in confession up to this point. 
but his circumstances changed and he started to doubt. And the way that I like to sometimes read about God is I think, oh, he was probably like, oh, you loser, John. But that's not the God of Scripture. Because that's what the enemy loves to tell me when I doubt. Bren, you're an idiot. How can you forget these things? How can you doubt these things? And that's not at all what Jesus does. I love what he does. You know what he does? He takes these two disciples of John on a, like, on a, on a, uh, uh, what's a, when you go on a trip at school, field trip. He goes on a field trip. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Just lost there for a moment. He takes him on a field trip and he walks over to a blind man and says, be healed. Walks to someone that can't walk. He says, stand up and walk. And he goes through and he shows me. He says, now you go back to John. You tell him that the lame, what does he say? And he says to them, go and tell John what you hear and have seen. So it's not just that he told him this. He took him around and showed him. Like, let him, let him hear this. Well, you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to him. He's quoting Isaiah and he doesn't even finish Isaiah because John doesn't need it. And then the disciples go back and I love this. This is just my own little fun. You can go read Matthew chapter 11 later. The disciples leave to go and tell John this message and then Jesus preaches this incredible message that would be so encouraging had John heard it. But he doesn't. Go on and read it. It's incredible. He talks about who John is and, and all these things. There's no one greater than these persons. The disciples are gone. The disciples go tell G- about Jesus and, and John is shortly beheaded after that. So what do we see in Thomas and John that is very similar? There's a couple things. I just want to land on this for you guys because I think it's really, really important. Both doubted at a pretty foundational level. Both had professed belief or lived their life in following Jesus, but doubted at a level of, are you even who this is? Are you what you said you were? Are you really the resurrected Jesus? But both of them, both of them in their doubts went to Jesus. Went to the people around them, even though they fought. And here's what I love, I love. In both those situations, Jesus could have looked at John and been like, really? Really? Like all the things that you saw and said and proclaimed, was that all just a fake declaration like many of us do in people's lives as they waffle and struggle? But you did all of this! Now where are you? Could they be prodigals, church, in need of a loving father and a supportive older brother? He doesn't say that to John, and he doesn't say it to Thomas. Thomas had seen everything that Jesus did. Thomas was one of the ones that got to reach in the basket and just see the fish keep coming and be like, what is happening here? Like, he saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And Jesus could have said, are you kidding me? Guys, why are you holed up in this room? What's wrong with you? Get out and be stronger. No, he doesn't. And I think he does something even better that I wish, I hope all of us would hear. He meets them right where they're at. Think about that. Jesus waits eight days, seven days for poor Thomas. And for seven days, I mean, it was probably like, do you believe now, Thomas? No, okay. Hey, what about now? Do you remember the scripture? No, and like for seven days, Thomas is in that moment that torment. And Jesus doesn't come and be like, okay, well, you've been in time out long enough. No, Jesus comes and says, peace be with you. I'm with you. I've brought peace to your soul. Touch me. Believe right here. And see, this is why it's so interesting. 
for us in our doubt is so often our doubts put God in a little box that says he has to do this or else I won't. And what's, what's comical to me is when I've done that, I, I forget just how big God is and how even when I'm just throwing a two-year-old temper tantrum, he still says, I'm, I'm right here, Brent. I'm, I'm at work in your life. I'm sanctifying you. I'm bringing about a faith that will be void of all doubt. I'm bringing about belief that, that shakes out doubt and brings certainty. So why do we, why do we doubt? We doubt because um, we've allowed the resurrection of Jesus to become a smaller thing in our lives. We doubt because we, we lose sight of the fact that everything that happened in Jesus in the grave and the risen from the dead happens to us in him. We doubt because we lose sight of the fact that the Holy Spirit that lives in Jesus that did all this is now in us as his church. We doubt because we, we lack faith. And here's the, here's the best one. Jesus may look at you and say, oh, Brent, you have little faith. But he doesn't leave me there. He gives me opportunities to grow in this. And I, I think there's a number of reasons why we doubt. Here's just a few I want to just share with you. We doubt because of difficult circumstances. It gets hard, right? When a believer has faithfully and sacrificially served the Lord and then experiences tragedy, loss, or hurt, or pain, what do we do? It's like, God, you owe me. John the Baptist is a perfect example as to why that won't work that way in our life. There was no one more faithful than him. And he ended in a dark pit, being beheaded because of a weird relationship with new wife and daughter to the Herod. So it's not difficult. We're tempted to ask, God, where are you now? When I really need you. And here's the thing. What if Jesus didn't show up to Thomas? What happens to him? Here's, here's what I believe, and this is, again, a little conjecture, but it's free. Here you go. Jesus makes a promise, a declaration, actually, says that I lose none of my own. So if, if Thomas, if he never shows up with Thomas and Thomas leaves, then Jesus is a liar. So this doubting Thomas was always going to go one way. Faithful Thomas, my Lord, my God. Because it's not based on Thomas, it's based on Jesus. And see, right now, you think your faith, as you grab as hard as you possibly can, is based on what you can do. But your faith is a gift from the Lord. So if you lack faith, ask. Lord, I lack faith, give me more faith. And trust that whatever comes in front of you, even if it's pain, is producing in you something far greater than gold, even though it's refined by fire. Psalm 34, 17 says it this way. It says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Now hear me on this, guys. We got to settle that in our heart. Is that a lie? Or is that truth? Because if that's truth, then that means he hears our cries and delivers us out of trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. This is why it's so silly for us to think that he is far. <laughs> Literally, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. 
and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Here, look at it. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. And that may be in his resurrection in the kingdom. But guys, he's going to keep that promise. So when you're doubting because of difficulty, remember that he's near the brokenhearted. If you're feeling crushed, be reminded that, that you are more than a conqueror in Jesus, and he is not vacant. He will show up right at the right time to do what needs to be done in your heart to take your doubt and move it into certainty, a hope that transcends all understanding. Other reason why we doubt, there's another one, is incomplete information. See, John didn't have all the information. He had heard of the works, but hadn't experienced it firsthand. I think John, or Jesus answers John for his benefit. Um, many believers today also doubt certain truths about God because of incomplete information, because they have inadequate knowledge or understanding of his word. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us God has revealed the wisdom of his word through the Holy Spirit. Why does Jesus say receive the Holy Spirit? Because he knows that you and I can do nothing apart from him. And we need the Holy Spirit. So many times the doubt is because we, 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 we lose sight of the expectations. Let me, let me, the disciples, we had hoped he would come and do this, and he didn't. Incomplete information. Joe, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, right? He's, he's like unfolding scripture. I wish we had that sermon. He's going to scripture and he's going to this. And he's this psalm, this is about me and about the resurrected and this and look at this and this and look at this, 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 this. And then he breaks the bread and they're like, oh, their eyes are open. And then what do they say? We're not our hearts burning within us as he unfolded the scriptures. Incomplete information. Many of you doubt because you just don't know his word. You have incomplete information. You keep repeating idioms and statements that have been said in Christianese language and call it good enough with absolutely no foundation. And when that's called into question by the world, which it will be, you crumble. You're tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine like James tells us. We doubt because we don't know. Another reason why we doubt is, is worldly influence. Um, they had expected Jesus to defeat Rome. And we doubt, they doubted Jesus as a Messiah because he didn't defeat Rome. That was the world's influence. You doubt today because you've somehow allowed the cultural system that is around you in the, in, the, in the space that we live in and you've made that higher than the kingdom of God and you're being influenced by the world. And so you think things like, man, I should just be comfortable because that's what, if you work hard, you're comfortable. And I don't see that in scripture, but I definitely see that in our world as a declaration to try and keep us busier and busier and busier and busier. You, you believe that the, the money... <laughs> that you have brings freedom or gives you hope. That is a system of the world, worldly influence. When that is challenged, you will doubt. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to the world. You're gonna doubt if you're conformed to the world. Another reason why we uh, doubt is unfulfilled expectations. 
See, I think John the Baptist expected something. Maybe Thomas felt slighted by the fact that he met with the other disciples and not him. Unfulfilled expectations. John had some unmet expectations. He said, I wanted to see the floor wiped of these people, and yet they weren't. So even John missed it. We doubt because we have unfulfilled expectations. And here's what's, here's what's crazy to me, guys, is some of those expectations are really good, God-given things. And some of them are just absolutely sinful, selfish. Well, which one is it? I don't know. <laughs> Unless you want to start running through them, like, go ahead and share your doubts. Just kidding. That's the way that happens. With time with the Lord, in his word, and with his people. I want God to do this in my life. Cool, Brent. Where do you see God saying that that's a promise of his in scripture? But I feel like, yeah, 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 that sounds like you've just indebted Jesus to you and you're really indebted to him. Your expectation is not being met. If I do all these things and I graduate this school and I marry this woman and our marriage will be perfect and everything will be amazing and, and, and our kids will be wonderful and you have all these expectations, which may be really good things, but when they don't do that, where was your hope, people? Your hope was in those things going the way they were supposed to and doubt will come, not certainty. The flip side of the coin of doubt is always certainty. Every doubt you have can be brought to certainty in and through Jesus Christ. Let me say that again because I think some of us need to hear it twice. (laughs) Every doubt you have, every doubt, every single doubt you have can be brought to certainty in and through Jesus alone. Nothing else will bring certainty. One scholar says, one pastor says it this way, I love it. He says, in the age, in this age, even the greatest, strongest saints experience deep darkness. None of us are spared sorrow or oppression. Most of us suffer agonizing affliction at some point. Most of us will experience seasons when we feel as if we've been abandoned. Most of us will die hard deaths. The Savior does not break the bruised reed. He hears our pleas for help and is patient with our doubts. Hear this. He doesn't condemn us. He has paid completely for any sin that is exposed in our pain. He does not always answer in the timing we desire, nor is his answer always the deliverance we had hoped for. But his grace will always be sufficient for those who trust him. The hope we taste in the promises and we trust will often be the sweetest thing we experience in this age. And, if, and his reward will be beyond our imagination. For us today, when we have doubts, God will give us a greater revelation of his character when we press into him. So keep pressing into him. It's okay to doubt all kinds of things. But I think what John's trying to show us is the resurrection is supposed to be the ending of the doubt of who Jesus is. Well, let's just settle there, okay? Stop doubting him, both intellectually and practically. I would be remiss um, to not talk with you about what doubts you may have. So what is it? Where do you doubt? What does real belief look like? Jesus shows us in this text, if you just see it all the way through, he says, I'm with you. I bring peace. You have joy. Don't doubt. Be sent in my name by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You can see Jesus meeting Thomas where he's at. It also tells Thomas to, to trust what I say, not just what you see. And maybe that's why you're doubting right now is because you're not trusting what Jesus has said to you and you're allowing what you see in front of you to be his reality. That's just not the case. I think Thomas not believing is a grace for us today because we need people like Thomas. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I believe in the validity of God's word because this would have been a really good thing to just pull from it to try and hold the word up as a little bit more of a concrete thing. But here, one of the 12, full doubt, arguing with the other disciples, not, not even moving. Like the, the other ones, the other nine, the other 10 could not move him. You know, Jesus' word is for us in doubt in Mark 1 is repent and believe in the gospel. Many of you right now, like myself this week, we need to repent of our doubts. Because really, a lot of our doubts are calling God's character into question. And we need to recognize that it is a sin that will entangle us. It's not just a, a struggle. And it may be a struggle and, and, and doubt. And, and many of us need to be a safe place for people to doubt. But as Jesus said to Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Will you believe? The band's going to come up. We're going to worship. I want to challenge you to, to press into his word, into community, and into Jesus, not withdraw. Right now, some of you right now are like, man, well, I'm just really doubting this specific systematic theology, this specific belief system. Maybe it's at the core. You're just doubting, is God good? <laughs> it's great. Ask those questions. What we see in a God is we don't see a God going, how dare you doubt me? I will smite you. No, we see him meeting you right where you're at. Showing you what you need to be surrendered to him so that you may believe and walk in the wholeness and the joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. It's our only joy, guys. Will you believe Will you believe that he can take whatever doubt you have and turn it into worship where you will declare, my God and my Lord, I will spend my life worshiping you regardless of what it may make sense or how it makes sense. Will you let your doubts be surrendered to his word, to his lordship, and to the community that God has you around? If you are isolated, you're in trouble. It's risky. So, so draw in. If that starts with the prayer room, then do that. If it starts with the person that brought you saying, I need help, then do that. If it starts with, hey, I'm just going to say this. I know this might be heresy, but I'm doubting the. Let it be called out because it might be something that just needs to be reworked through Scripture. Well, did you read this? Did you read this? May we not be a church that walks in doubt. May we not hear from our Lord and Savior, oh, you of little faith as we strive to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not based on anything we do, but based on who he is in us. As you, your God, my God, our God, loves you so deeply, even in your most nastiest doubting moment where you're fighting every single person that you used to say you held dear and trusted. He still loves you in that time, and he'll still meet with you. Say, look, right here. Right here, you want to see it? Come on, touch it. I'm here.
Father, wherever we are doubting, I pray that you would still in us a confidence that can only come from knowing you and the Holy Spirit living in us. Father, forgive me for my doubt. Forgive me for my lack of faith. Oh, Lord, I feel like all too often you could say, oh, Bren, you have little faith. But I thank you that I do not have to, to wallow in shame because you tell me there's no condemnation for those who are in you. So God, I want to be, be someone that can utter, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want to be someone that, that believes that your ministry, your work is still happening. That there will be healing in relationships, in physical ways. There will be healing in, in the church. God, I want to see people come to know you miraculously where we can't take any credit for it because we know it's never been ours to take credit for Father, I pray for a boldness of faith that, that makes us look otherworldly as your children who are not a part of this world, Lord. I pray that we would be um, emboldened not by our own flesh, but by the weakness that we have in our flesh, knowing that you are strongest in our weakness. I pray that we'd be bold to walk out in faith by the power of your Holy Spirit and proclaim that the darkness has no claim on this place anymore, Lord. And I pray, I pray, God, I pray. I pray that we would be ambassadors. We'd be salt preserving the truth and we'd be light breaking into the darkness based on your goodness and your goodness alone. And so, Father, for any individual that is here today that has not surrendered to you, God, I pray that you break them down to their knees where they can confess, I cannot do it. I need you, Jesus. And will you lift their face up and let them look you in the face as you do. For you are my child my brother. And you are saved, not by your own doing, but by mine. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him 